Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Flare Aviation Podcast. I'm your host, Riley, and today we have episode number 13. Uh, we got Nick joining us today, uh, also a fellow aviator at the flight school I'm at. So welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you very much. Lucky number 13. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a good one, man. It's uh, I can't believe we've done so many already, but it's, it's great to have you on. And uh, yeah, it's great to also be chatting with someone that I fly <laughs> out of the same airport with so uh i mean for the people that don't know you what's your story in aviation how do you get started yeah so it's great to be here first of all and uh well i so i say the way i started um i'm from toronto originally and okay. uh i live very close to the airport uh pearson there um and when i was younger my aunt would take uh would take myself and my brother out uh, plane spotting and for anyone in the uh, industry or interested in aviation from around Toronto, most likely you're going to know the Wendy's on airport road. Uh, when I say oh, yeah. that everybody, that's like a landmark. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of where it all began going there on Sunday afternoons after family lunch and just watching planes land runway 23 there. And uh, yeah, just kind of fell in love with it. So I got to give full credit to my aunt for that one. Um, yeah. And then just kind of, I, I eventually went from wanting to just see the planes to start capturing them. So I started plane spotting, I guess, with a camera. Um, okay. And yeah, just that kind of really got my interest into it because that once I started taking pictures, I started like looking up registrations of the aircraft to get the history on them and, and kind of um, just knowing by, by looking at them what model it is and what what airline and where it was coming from and like flight numbers so then i got um i got a scanner so you could listen to the air traffic control uh the frequency the tower frequency and listen to all the takeoff and landing clearances so it kind of just it kind of snowballed it started very small and then it just snowballed into getting really geeky and nerdy about it which i love because now we're here and it's awesome so oh yeah and it's it's cool just looking at like where they're coming from too like that's that's probably what gets me the most every time is just seeing like how far like you might even just see like half an hour in advance that a plane is coming in from like the other side of the world but then you actually sit there and think about like the journey they just took to get there and how long that must have been and then you just get to watch basically what you see and hear right like so you you hear it on a scanner and you see it like if you're tracking it on your phone or something then you just see it like in person coming and land like right over your head well yeah and it just it blows your mind sitting there when you really break it down and think about it that we as humans were able to put half a million or a million parts in the air, like 15, 16 kilometers above the surface of the earth, traveling almost at the speed of sound for 16 hours in cases across the entire world. And it's the safest method of transportation. Like that just blows my mind every single time. Even the amount of time it takes for like maintenance, right? Like, the amount of hours they can fly it on average and like actually safely get it from like across the world and back and keep going. And then like how long those parts are actually like holding together and keeping everything going for like the, the engineering behind it's actually wild. It's incredible. And the fact that even like where we are today with GPS and and RNAVs and everything like that is, is incredible in itself. But the fact that these guys used to do this, in, in like the 60s and 70s using NDVs and VORs and, and I guess later on INSs and everything across the Atlantic is just crazy. 
uh, I guess, well, not not radio aids across the Atlantic, but like INS is once that became a thing. And even just like VFR flying, how far it's come for like, it's still very basic. Um, when you when you think you're just sitting there with a VNC, if you're just dead reckoning and using pilotage and whatever, but uh, like it's still it's still rooted in where it came from. But even then, it's it's advanced so far with like the the amount of information we now have on the maps versus what they used to have back in the day is just incredible. And and it's it's really crazy to think about how far this industry has developed in its very relatively short time in existence. Right, like it's only been around for. Mm-hmm just over a hundred years right like yeah you gotta think a hundred years ago you're just you're using like a map and looking at the grounds right and now you got four flight and stuff that's making flying so much easier and more accessible but yeah like you sit there and i i mean i've even done this while i'm flying like i'm just flying around enjoying the views and i'm looking down like holy crap like we're so lucky nowadays with the navigation like navigational aids that we have where you look back to what they had like way back a hundred years ago and it, you're just using a map looking at the ground and like hoping you're on the right track. Exactly. And like, I, I'm very glad that we learn that way. And like I did my, my private uh, on, on an older 172 that had no GPS in it. So all my cross country stuff was done just dead reckoning, which I'm, I'm very glad mm-hmm. because I learned that way. Right. So like, a lot of people when they fly the newer ones just do the diversions and their their solo cross country or whatever, uh, by by dead reckoning and using pilotage and using a VNC and whatever like that. But um, mm-hmm. I got lucky in a sense. I mean, maybe I didn't consider myself lucky while I was doing it because it's a lot more work. But now looking back, um, I had a lot like a lot of my time building that I've done so far. I've done in the older 172 with no GPS, so like I've just been sitting there for like a two three hour flight just just using a VNC navigating and it's great but then again when you get in a newer plane like the the i guess complete opposite is getting into something with the g1000 and you just sit there mm. and follow the magenta line and it's amazing in its own right so yeah i mean I, honestly i think it's better starting off that way and not really being able to have that like the uh accessibility to a gps because it makes you a better pilot using the dead reckoning and just using that vnc than having like all the technology in your hands or at least personally what I found like my instructors like never really like all my training for my PPL was all just figuring it out from a dead reckoning perspective and not using GPS until you get your license and then now you've worked really hard at like your navigational skills and now you kind of you get a bit of an upgrade as far as like the technology goes for sure yeah and automation dependency is definitely a thing and it makes you so much lazier um so i think even though i'm I'm not really good at doing this i think it's every once in a while it's probably good to like book an old plane and go back and fly it and and not have the option to depend on the gps or the autopilot or whatever just just hand fly something and and dead reckon your your way to wherever you're going and back home yeah 100 percent. like it, it definitely uh definitely works on the skills too yeah um so basically then when you went into high school and stuff, were you already like, you already knew your career was basically going to be aviation or was it kind of like a, a bit of a toss up between some things? Oh, I probably knew in grade six, probably. Yeah. Grade six. I think oh, yeah. it, it was, it was pretty, pretty solid since then, which is funny you ask that because I know for a lot of people, high school is this big thing that they want to like, you know, 
it's going to be a good time. And don't get me wrong. It was a good time, but for me, it was just a stage. It was like, okay, I got to get through this so I can go and do what I really want to do. Right. Like a lot of people are like in high school figuring out what they want to do and whatever, which is fine, but it's just, Mm -hmm. it's a bit frustrating when you're sitting there and you're like, I know exactly what I want to do and I can't do anything that relates to it yet. Right. And, And so it was kind of just get this over and done with, and then off to bigger, better things and really start progressing towards what I know I want to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, hundred percent. It's like everyone else, like you said, they're trying to figure out what they want. And you're just like, you're just like, I'm ready for that airline interview. Like, let's go, you know? Exactly. So then from there you went to U of W, correct? Yeah. So I'm third year in uh, geography and aviation uh, at university of Waterloo now. Um, love it. Great program would recommend to anybody. Um, controlled chaos at times but I think that's like with anything mm-hmm. in life so um yeah it's it's been it's been really good it, I, it's afforded me a lot of opportunities I didn't ever consider before and just given me insight into things I didn't think of before so it's been good mm-hmm. and like so for myself like I'm I'm a standalone student at the airport so I'm not like super super familiar with like how UW runs it but how do they like normally structure their years as far as like you're flying? Right. So um, in your first year, you're, you go in uh, September of, of first year and that fall term, mm-hmm. which is September to December, it's all academic. So you take a full five course load, uh, no flying. Um, mm-hmm. And then in, uh, in January, uh, after you come back from the Christmas break, uh, you start your PPL. Um, as soon as you're able to with weather and booking. So it's usually later into January, even February for some people. Um, getting bookings is hard, as I'm sure you know, because you fly at oh, yeah. the same flight school. But uh, I uh, I was pretty – my instructor was really good about getting me in. Like I told him, I was like, look, I might have a summer job lined up here, so if we can try and push and get this done as quickly as possible so that I can work, that would be amazing. And he was great. He We made it happen. Um but yeah, I got I got into uh, I think it was January seventeenth was my first flight. I don't have my logbook on me right now, but I think that was thinking back. I think that was the day. Um, and then yeah, I, you just you fly. Um, you you get your PPL uh, hopefully done um, before the next academic year being uh, September again. But uh, okay. as you start your license, you're only taking four courses, um, so you're you're taking four courses at the university and then you're also flying, um, which is a lot at, uh, a lot at once. Right. And then you, you pile on work on top of that. Like I, at that point I was, uh, I was, uh, refing hockey as well in the winters, obviously. Um, so you pile on flying in the morning and I often had really early flights like seven 8 o'clock. And then I'd be, I'd be on the ice until 11, sometimes midnight. So that could make for some really, Uh, long nights and early mornings but it was worth it to get it done I got my PPL done in four and a half months Um, actually it was I think it was a bit less than that but yeah I got it done very quickly I was the first in my class to get it done and the first to solo so it was uh, it was very quick Uh, solo was February 28th I'll never forget that day Um, (laughs) as I'm sure most people who have done their first solo could tell you you won't forget that day because you look to your right and there's no one there and you're like okay this is for real this is all me um yeah and you, you feel like you're up faster too right because you lose that extra like couple hundred pounds yeah of weight. the, the weight's gone and airplane's flying and you're kind of panicking but not panicking 
but by the time was it like a busy day when you went it wasn't too bad um it was I don't, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. The only thing that sticks out about it was it was runway one four, which if you fly in Waterloo, you know, is a pretty rare occasion. Yeah, it's, the wind's never, never really going down no. that way. And I mean, you're on the shorter runway too, right? So you, you probably definitely felt the nerves coming in. Yeah, I mean, four thousand feet still plenty if you're doing a full stop, but you still don't want to screw it up. <laughs> get her down and get off. No, yeah, especially being like your first solo landing, right? You're like, oh man, like. <laughs> got to try to use the runway here and not bounce it. Or yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so that that was an interesting day. I was flying a TLY, so anyone who's at the flight center knows the the brown uh, the brown stallion, the chocolate rocket. But uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. lovely, lovely color on that plane. But anyway, um, yeah, it was it's been good so far. And then, uh, sorry, I got off topic there a little bit, but uh, the. Once you once you finish that second term of school, you take one summer course. Um, so they expect you to be here in the summer. Um, mm -hmm. it, but if you get it, like if you get your PPL, then you can go home, which I did. And uh, and I worked a summer job, which I'll get to in a minute because that was flying as well. Um, yeah. But uh, the the summer course is only two weeks. It's two weeks every day instead of one day a week for the whole term. So it's not too bad. Um, okay. and then the summer job I had, so once I, I finished my license in May and then had a couple weeks off and then started my job at the end of May in the last week of May. And what I was doing, I worked for a company called Cameron air. Um, we were based at city center airport. Um, and I was basically like, yeah. I was, my title was co-op because that's what the, the position is, but you're basically a dock hand at a float operation. Um, what the company did was uh, we had two 206s, SS 206s, two caravans, uh, all on amphibious floats, so you can land on a runway or the water, um, and then one PC-12 uh, for longer-range charters. Um, and the majority of the flights were city center up to the Muskokas, like either uh, Lake Joe, Rosso, Muskoka, or Lake Bays. We went other places too, like we had Georgian Bay stuff and other smaller lakes, but the majority of our stuff was up to there. Um, and just basically flying people to their cottages um, or whatever other charters we got. And uh, it's mostly single pilot, but some docks are more challenging um, and need a second crew member. So like I'd go up sometimes as a second crew and help out on the, on the dock or with the plane or whatever. Um, so that was, that was really great exposure to not only a customer service role, but just working at a, at a small like 703 operation. Um in in canada and it was great because i didn't even have to go up north for it so that was really good yeah and you probably i'm sure you met a lot of people right like a lot of pilots that have a, like just a ton of experience. yeah i met a lot of good people and like the the company was really small i think there was only 13 or 14 of us at, at peak um but it's great because it was a very like good uh good workplace environment uh very relaxed everyone works hard but uh everyone's always most for the most part having fun i mean there's there's stressful moments and whatever but uh, for the most part it was good um and the most memorable thing i i did there probably uh, i was helping on a trip uh that we ended up flying into pearson on which is really cool um oh, really? and and i just remembered like getting the takeoff clearance out of pearson and like by the time i responded to all the instructions we were already like airborne it was hilarious just because how fast paced it was. Yeah, and like the the guy gave us a mouthful. It was like uh, play for takeoff twenty three, 
once airborne, make a left turn, direct the tower, not above a thousand. And then after that, direct to the button at two four left, not above fifteen hundred. Thereafter, direct city center, contact city tower one eighteen two, leaving the zone. It's like holy crap! <laughs> and they're like, you're trying to. Look I'm like reading it back, and then we're like off the ground by the time by the time I was able to stay clear for takeoff. It's like holy. Jeez, and that must have brought like a lot of childhood memories back to just like watching planes go into Pearson, right? And you're like, I'm finally like. I'm here actually in a plane taking off. Well, yeah, and the best part is I looked to my left as we were taking the runway because we parked at Signature, which is on the north end of the field, and we were assigned uh, 23 Mm. for departure, and that Wendy's is on 23. So I looked to my left, and there's the Wendy's. Mm. I'm like, wow, it's crazy to be on this side of the fence for once. Yeah, I know, because you're you're pretty close to – like the edge of the runway when you're sitting at the Wendy's because that's normally like if I'm plane spotting, that's normally where I'd go. Um, and like it's really it's crazy how close you actually are so i can imagine like just looking to that other side and just seeing like i'm on the other side of the fence now and like i've spent so much time just watching planes go yeah it's like i'm the one on the radio now they're listening to me (laughs) yeah it was awesome and so uh what what stage are you at now in your career so uh i finished my ppl night rating and just kind of doing cpl time building Uh, i was really far ahead uh so like i got my da40 checkout and was loving that airplane flying it at night it was awesome just ripping it around southern ontario thing really moves it has some you can get some pretty incredible ground speeds out of it uh which is which is nuts because it's like the same engine as 172 but you're grounding like 165 if you have a good tailwind so um yeah that got that done and then uh unfortunately ran into a bit of a situation uh i got hurt while i was roughing hockey and uh, just having to take some time off flying but hopefully get back uh, sooner rather than later but uh yeah i'm hopeful eventually we'll get back but once i do get back it'll be cpl uh continue the time building and then cpl uh, training as well so it's just basically like the recovery process right now of getting getting back yeah training. whenever i'm able to do that that would be uh Hopefully it's sooner rather than later, but uh, I know patience is uh, is an important thing. So uh, whenever it's whenever it's oh, yeah. time, it's time. So and now, uh, like going from the Cessna to the Diamond, did you find like the variable pitch was was definitely a learning curve? The constant speed prop, not really. Um, yeah, just because I think definitely. Uh, working at Cameron Air helped me with that because all the planes, like the caravans and the 206s are all uh, constant speeds as well. So I like, I knew how it worked and most people who have learned will tell you it's way easier once you see it in practice to actually just like, like it, it's one thing on paper and it, it confuses the hell out of a lot of people on, on paper. And like, I don't get this. And you, you fly with it once. And it's like, that's so easy. Well, I already had that exposure mm-hmm. to it, so I kind of knew what was up going into that that checkout flight. So, like, I, I got one little run through by my instructor, and then that was it. Like, I was kind of up to up to speed on it. So, no, it's it it doesn't. A lot of people, and I I see why it doesn't make sense on paper, but once you see it in practice, it's really easy, and it's great. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I find that too, and I guess a lot of aspects in aviation, like if you're if you're studying for like a written exam, and I, I know a lot of people definitely find this when it comes to like your PPL written, because most of the time you're coming in with like really low hours. But once you actually like start experiencing it during your training, like you actually 
like just from the experience, it makes a lot more sense than just studying from a For book. sure. Like I, I definitely find that that's like that's huge is getting the experience in as well because it's like what you're saying like you could read it on paper all day long and just be so confused but until you actually see it like in motion it might actually just make like a ton more sense and just be so much easier it all just clicks once you do it hands-on i think Mm -hmm. and so i'm guessing too you probably prefer like the diamond over the in a lot of ways um visibility is outstanding out of the diamond uh speed uh flight controls are very nice in the diamond they're they're not cable and pulley it's a push rod system so um every like millimeter you move the stick has a direct response in the flight controls um which is nice when you're when you're hand flying an approach or whatever the only time that gets annoying is in turbulence because everything every time that moves the plane moves so it's like a so sometimes it's nice to just let the autopilot do its thing as well. Yeah, because you, you'd be stuck just trying to hold it straight. and like it Exactly. But yeah, I, I love the diamond. The only thing is I'm somewhat tall. Like I'm 6'2". And fitting in it, like I, mm. I probably don't think anyone, even an inch taller, would be comfortable in it. Like I'm, I'm almost touching the roof. So it's, it, it's a little tight. Once you're in, it's fine. But it's like... It's almost like you're strapping on the plane. Like you're not getting into it, but when you put the seatbelt on, you're like strapping it on. It becomes part of you. Yeah, that's true. From yeah, like I, I definitely understand what you're saying too. Because like from the one time I've only been in a diamond once, and I, I definitely it's feel snug. Like, like uh, <laughs> it's yeah, you're definitely right up next to whoever yeah. you're flying with, and uh, you don't you don't have a lot of leg room either because you got the stick like literally right between your legs, so you're. You're trying to make some space so that the uh, PIC can move around. Yeah, exactly. It definitely can be difficult. Yeah, but uh, in a lot of ways, I like it better. The 172 has its thing, like its advantages too. And like once you fly the diamond and then just going back into a 172, there's always something about a 172 that's just like home because it's the first thing you ever flew. But yeah, it's it's the plane you you've done all your training and you feel most. Yeah, like there's just something about the way it turns and the way it flies and whatever. It's it's nice, but yeah. So coming out of like school, which you guys will be doing pretty soon, uh, what's your end goal as far as like your career? Like, are you you hoping to just start going into airlines as soon as possible? And do you have like a specific airline? So airlines were always kind of like the the main goal. Uh, recently, I don't mm-hmm. I don't know that it'll ever happen. Um, but like if I if I had something where I could just pick to do whatever and I could do it, honestly, I'd probably fly fly fighters in the military um just because i just think it's super cool um like there's one thing about flying and then there's a whole other thing about flying fighters but um i don't know that that would happen just because i know it's hard to get a fighter slot in this country anyway um and then like i'd probably even fly in the military like transport or something else but the lifestyle is tough and it's just it's a lot to consider so probably Probably airlines, um, which again was kind of like the the goal from the beginning. But like I said, if I could like have a pipe dream come true, it would probably be flying fighters. But in terms of a specific airline, um, hopefully, seeing as though they're still around, uh, Air Transat would be great. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like kind of their 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 route structure is amazing. Like you do Europe in the summer and the Caribbean in the winter, and you're flying 
wide bodies for the most part. Like you get an A330 type rating um, and they, they, they dual qual their pilots on the A330 family and then the A320 family. So like they fly 321 uh, current engine option, the 321 Neo, and then they also uh, usually lease. I don't know if they will anymore, but they usually lease some A320s in the winter. So you get dual qualed on those and the, the pay rate's the same between the 330 and the 320, which is great. So you don't get really, you don't get penalized for flying the narrow body. Yeah, and I mean, they're they're somewhat as, as far as like Canadian airlines go too, like a bit smaller, right? I mean, I know at some point they were wanting to merge with Air Canada, but I, I'm not 100 percent sure that that deal is ever really going to work out, especially with like the global pandemic. Well, Eric, but I mean, they're definitely. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, Air Canada wanted to buy them. They didn't uh, like it wasn't much of a merger; it was more of an acquisition, um, like them and their assets, but. Uh, We'll see if it happens. I mean, it probably wouldn't be the end of the world in Air Canada, provided they can recover nicely eventually. They probably will want it because they basically all but got, got rid of Rouge. Like, they retired all the 767s from Rouge and got rid of a bunch of, uh, the, uh, I think all, except a couple 319s as well from Rouge. So, like, Rouge is kind of done. So, they're going to need to replace that eventually. So, they, they do have an interest, I think, in getting Transat still, but I don't know how far down the road. But... um yeah, that that would that would kind of be my goal would be transat because I just I love Europe um, and that would be great um, to be able to go there. And then on that note, um, I guess another consideration I could have since I do have uh, EU citizenship is go fly in Europe actually, like for Lufthansa or France or something. So that, okay, how how did you end up getting like the dual citizenship? Was there like a not really? I mean, I'm I'm Croatian by background and Croatia is an EU member um and i got it through my dad so before i was 18 it was really easy it was just paperwork so um i do have that uh which is great because going even and and europe is so well connected you can live in a different country and work i know the lufthansa group like you don't even need to speak german you can just speak english and you don't have to live in germany you can live wherever which is amazing so like that's always an option provided again like recovery dependent on how everyone bounces back from from this mm-hmm. this uh pandemic but um yeah that that would definitely be another option just because the lifestyle over there is so so nice and it's very relaxed and it's it's cool like your europe is just it's a different vibe yeah i definitely agree like that's like one of my big goals is to uh fly over there and like at least even if i'm just like you know flying routes from here over to there but also like you know i think one of one of my bigger goals too is to even just do like a flight yeah. around the world and just be able to hop the pond over into there and you know just spend some time there you know and enjoy the uh the different ways of flying because it's i mean i've only been over to europe once and it just it really hooked me so i can totally understand like what you're saying you know about just the different vibes and stuff and i mean definitely busier airspace as far as like the uk goes and stuff but I mean, it, it would definitely be a great experience to go. Oh, for sure. And like the, I always said, my, I think my, my favorite thing I've ever seen is if, uh, if you're sitting on the left side of the airplane, uh, on a, on a transatlantic red eye is, is the sunrise when you're at like just, just south of Iceland and just looking out the window and seeing the sun mm-hmm. come up is just one of the most beautiful things you can ever see. So to be able to do that like twice a week is just, and get paid for it on top of that is just would be a dream oh 
Yeah, you're not, you're not even having to pay for it. You're getting paid to like see views like that and get to uh, to go exactly. to another part like of the world. You know, the the old saying, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I think that holds true with that. So. Exactly. And like, honestly, I think that that couldn't be more true in aviation just with like, I mean, right now we, we pay so much for flight school and stuff, but you really sit there and think about it. And like, when this is all said and done and we have our licenses, like someone's going to pay us to actually just travel around. Exactly. Really cool views. So uh, you also have like a plane spotting like account. I do. Yeah. So I started that uh, back when I actually before I got my my first uh, DSLR camera. Um, And it's just kind of been my my sort of hobby um, uh, over the past few years. Um, It has gotten a decent following. Um, It's more for me just somewhere to, to post my favorite pictures that I've taken and hopefully someone else can can like them as well like if they like what they see great but it's more just for me to be able to post it somewhere and like i said if someone else also likes it that's a bonus so oh yeah and i mean like i feel like that too a lot of a lot of pilots and stuff like you have your like main account and stuff with like a bunch of your friends but you feel like you need a second place to post a bunch of aviation stuff so that it's just not constantly exactly yeah like you, you need you need kind of like a space where you can just like let your like inner aviation stuff out and just yeah you need your account where you can be normal and you need your account where you can geek out so yeah exactly so what would you say like i mean from looking at your account like it looks like you've you've spent a lot of time taking some pretty cool pictures like do you have any really sick stories of like um hmm, let me think well so i've i've spotted obviously mostly toronto um but uh like if I were to go on trips, different places and, and just from like the terminal or whatever. So like I've had Frankfurt and, and uh, Paris and stuff like that. But I actually, last time I was in New York, mm-hmm. uh, I went to JFK. I took half a day and went out to JFK with my brother and, uh, and, and spotted there. And that was just outstanding. Like just being, being there at one of the busiest airports in the world and just, just kind of seeing how things work and, seeing the different airlines we get we don't get in toronto like i saw some crazy stuff like virgin atlantic and uh alaska JetBlue, mm-hmm. which is all like that's all normal for them but i'm sitting here from toronto and it's like wow I, I never get to see this right so it's awesome uh yeah like an air canada for them is yeah like your canada doesn't even fly there anymore right so it definitely is yeah. um and then Montreal too. I like to go to Montreal because they uh, they have some really good spots at their airport to, to plane spots. So when if I'm ever there, uh, I'm usually there like once twice a year. So when I'm out there, I try and get out um, for for a couple hours. But yeah, it's uh, I think in terms of memorable stories, I don't know. Um, there's lots of like cockpit pictures on there, and people are like, "How do you get into the cockpit?" I thought you can't. It's like you just gotta go ask when you're on the ground. Like just like, "Hey, do you mind if I?" come chat for a few minutes and like, you know, I'm, I'm a student pilot and just working on my stuff. I want to say hi to the guys up front. Like, you know, you just go up there, take some pictures, mm-hmm. whatever. It's really not hard. And they're, they're usually very nice. Cause they, they were in your position at one day at one point too. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to bring that up too. I was just going to say like, you, you have to put yourself in their shoes right? and just be like, wow, like they've basically come from the situation I'm in and like, to, to see where they are at a point where they're flying like commercial airliners like 
you have to sit there and look back and be like, wow, like this person's coming up to me and like, they've been exactly where I am in training and they're working on the same stuff I had to go through to get here. It's like, I feel like, you know, a lot of pilots can relate to that and have a lot of compassion and, and then you get to have some good conversations with them. For sure. That. Yeah. And, and the best part is about this industry is chances are you guys both have a mutual friend or something just because it's so small. So, like, if you, you start talking about where they came from, yeah. where you come from, like, you likely know somebody somewhere that that is, uh, like, a mutual friend or something. Yeah, or, like, some place they've flown into or something you can both kind of relate to. And it's, like, you don't really realize it, too, until you really get going in the career and stuff that, like, it's it's a really small world. Like, it seems like such a fast-paced moving industry that just – like everyone's always new and like you you don't know the same people and stuff but like when you really like get down into it and start to like talk to people you you realize that like everyone kind of knows everybody exactly for sure and like even even touching on that um a funny story now that i think about it last time i went to croatia i flew with air transat they have a direct flight from toronto to uh zagreb and I went up to the cockpit uh, before the flight just to say hi and whatever. And I, I have a buddy that's a pilot at Transat. So I was like, hey, you guys know my friend. And of course, they work at the same company. So, of course, they do. But uh, so we were chatting and I was talking to the captain. I was like, oh, is this your first trip to Zagreb? And he's like, yeah. I was like, oh, you'll be back. Don't worry. And he's like, okay. And then um, anyway, that was that. And then three weeks later when I was going home, I boarded the plane and uh, same airframe, uh, same registration. I just we we boarded from the uh, from the apron, like the bus. They bust us to the plane and just stares onto it. Okay. And I looked. I was like, oh, it's the same plane. And I get up there into my seat, and uh, as the pilot goes out for the walk around, it's the same captain. So I go up to him after the flight. I'm like, hey, really? like he saw me first. He's like, hey, and I'm like, I told you you'd be back. And he's like, just started laughing. Just just stuff like that's hilarious. Yeah, like the little conversations you have and like actually getting to know like the guys that are. Yeah, and he, he remembered me, right? saw me, and he's like, hey, come up. And so like I went up to the cockpit again and he's like, you meet my FO this time. Like it was a new guy. So it was, it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to think like, I don't know, like it's, it's just such a small world. And like it's even just like I, I've been talking to some people about this too. Like, the aviation industry like in a sense can be considered competitive too but like it's not in a sense because everyone just works together to get to the same goal you know like we all see that we want that same goal and everyone kind of helps everybody at the end of the day and it it definitely it makes the aviation industry like worth it and like a really fun for sure yeah and like it's a everybody's got to help everybody out because there's going to be certain things you understand that I don't. There's going to be certain things I understand that you don't. And like if you work together, you're both going to understand it at the end of the day. So, Yeah. And you, you create more knowledge between everybody because it's not just an individual game. You know, everyone's just working together at, you know, like at the end of the day, everyone's working together, just getting home safely and doing the job. And exactly. You know, That's all there is to it. Exactly. Well, Nick, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, it was great having you on. Um, I know it's been, I've, I've really wanted to have you on for a while. So it's, it's been a blast having you on the show with me and just kind of hearing your story, hearing your, your plane spotting stuff and also just kind of how you've got. Yeah, to dude, well, thanks for having here. me on. It was good chat and uh, it was, uh, it was great. Thanks.
yeah, no worries. And I'll definitely make sure I plug the uh, the plane spotting oh, account awesome. on the post. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for uh, merch coming to the account. And hope everybody has a great day.